Hello and a very warm welcome to this edition of the Africa Legal Podcast and I am thrilled today to be joined by Shai Wade. Shai is a partner and head of international arbitration at leading UK law firm RPC and Shai and I were lucky enough to enjoy each other's company in Johannesburg just last week as part of a co-hosted mission to the region between Africa Legal and the UK Ministry of Justice under the umbrella of the Great Legal Service campaign. Now this saw us invite a hand-picked UK delegation comprised of uh, legal practitioners and professionals who came over for a series of events uh, all of last week, including a, uh, a, a junior lawyers event, an evening reception, a managing partners roundtable, all capped off with the African Legal Awards. Um, and I must say, Shai, it was, it was such a pleasure to enjoy your company last week. And it's even better to have you here with me today. Uh, well, th- thank you very much, Tom. It was a pleasure to be invited and to be selected for the Ministry of Justice Great Campaign Task Force. Um, we're, we're grateful to you at Africa Legal for partnering with the Ministry of Justice and putting up quite a quite a good show and arranging really good meetings and and roundtable and events that were really high quality and allowed us to meet very interesting people. And and as you said, as you alluded to, we had a really good time out there meeting all of these fantastic people, uh, eating fantastic food, uh, seeing the sights. It was a very, very good meet- trip and very good meetings. It, I mean, a re- it was a real whirlwind, but by God, what a great whirlwind it was. And the, the positivity that we had... Uh, you know the levels of engagement between you know African legal pr- practitioners and the UK with a very small UK delegation we brought across. It was it was brilliant. You know there was open and frank discussions. I think some really solid takeaways. And it was yes. it, it was that managing partners roundtable that that's kind of my my uh, pet favorite when it comes to the events we hosted. Now this was about twenty two of the managing partners of Africa's, you know, leading law firms, you know, the big, the medium, the small, but nimble, you know, the innovative, even a sprinkling of alternative legal services providers in there, closed door discussion. So we're not going to go into too much detail, but I was after a bit of your personal perspective here, Shai, what, what were the real Uh, takeaways from that round table for you? So first of all, one of the, one of the great takeaways for me is, is, meeting with real leaders from the African legal uh, profession and industry. Fantastic people with a real insight into how they work locally and internationally. And what we discussed uh, during the roundtable, the, the, the key issues were the issues of collaborating with, for them, collaborating with international law firms, and in particular with English law firms. And um, I think I learned a great deal from the discussion, from hearing people what people liked most and dislike most about working with international law firms when they have international matters. And if I can boil it down into one uh, catchphrase, it's obvious, but but what what they're looking for is respectful partnerships with other lawyers. Yeah, I, I like to think that's exactly how we operate. But hearing the concerns, hearing the the high moments, 
it really makes you stop and think how I can improve my practice. Am I on a daily basis actively um, interacting well with my colleagues? And I, I very much have always regarded um, colleagues from other law firms and in other jurisdictions as just that, as colleagues. Um, but I, I hear that not all of the interactions with all of the firms uh, are similar to that. And that's my key, my key takeaway. You must uh, respect and, and treat your international partners as colleagues as you would treat anyone in your own law firm. And that's One what we aim to do. 100%. And I think what was interesting for me was the the UK law firms that came on this trip, and we won't name them all, obviously RPC were one of them. This is, you know, you're a firm who has done work in and in relation to African markets, but this isn't a formalized, like you've got the whole Africa plan written, the whole strategy is defined, you've got 20 years of you know, engagement to, to, you know, manifest in how you act. This is a firm that's gone, how, how do we do more? And what does that look like? And you're almost going in with a clean slate. So you don't have this baggage when it comes to how you interact with local African law firms, you know, how you work with them, who you work with. So the, the mutual respect point, I think, is vital. Is there anything else that you are die hard certain about <laughs> in how in how you're going to take things forward from now so 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 for, yeah, i'm getting, i'm going to correct you a little bit there um i think even even if you're absolutely right that rpc doesn't have an africa strategy which is set in stone uh we do have a lot of a lot of history both for individual lawyers and for the firm working for and with the top um legal uh, firms around Africa and collaborating with them in a way which I think at the end of each interaction we have new friends and strong relationships. So, so it's not entirely a clean slate, but what we have is a collection of people and a collect, uh, who aspire to maintain those kind of relationships and build them. We do care very much about how we handle these relationships. Uh, recently, for example, we um, represented the Nigerian government in you know, high court proceedings in London, and we worked with a local law firm, and we hopefully did not fall into any of the bear traps that that I mentioned, and and I know that the friendships there have been maintained and and will proceed uh, and continue. And and one of my first large arbitrations. Uh, was uh, a South African case, and we worked with local council with whom over 20 years ago I'm still friendly with the individuals, and I think that's um, that's our key strategy. And Shai, I'm actually going to circle back to something you've touched upon to lead us into our next talking point, and this is around the arbitration and disputes uh, space, which is your primary field of, of operation. And you mentioned respect as being one of the key themes of last week's visit, but collaboration was, was closely following as a matter of great importance. And, you know, there's some nuances and some distinctions between how that collaboration manifests when UK and African law firms are working on transactional or, or corporate commercial uh, uh, matters as compared with disputes. So I'm interested... How 
does this collaboration between UK and African firms typically manifest in the disputes and arbitration space? And what, to your mind, could be done better when this collaboration needs to manifest? So uh, I I think I'm quite well placed to answer that question because I have my own council practice, which has been going on for a considerable number of years now, but I also sit as arbitrator. Mm, Okay. And so, but when you sit as arbitrator, you really see how different lawyers act together and gel together. And you see teams of people that work as a team uh, properly, in in my view. And you see also sometimes a, a lead counsel who is the only person that communicates with the tribunal, even if they're not always the best placed person to do that. Very um, diplomatically put. <laughs> so, so, and you see that in in cases that involve every jurisdiction, but in, in certainly in the context of um, my work in cases from African jurisdictions, what you would never want to see as an arbitrator is an English lead advocate talking about African law when sitting next to them is a, a leading lawyer from the jurisdiction yeah. of the law. It just doesn't make sense. And and in arbitration, we're very lucky. Law isn't a matter that you prove. It's a matter that can be pleaded wherever the law is from. And so, uh, I, you know, I'm not sucking up to anyone when I say this, but I've been lucky to work with very good, uh, among the best co-counsel in the cases that I have done involving African jurisdictions. And I would really never dream of of pleading Nigerian, South African, Kenyan, uh, other uh, African laws when I have next to me a superb advocate who can do the same thing. Nor would the tribunal want me to. For sure. But, but I fear, I fear, and one of the one of the issues around respect and collaboration uh, that is a concern for that we heard during the roundtable and, and generally in my discussions. I fear that some international law firms, English or American, consider them to be, themselves to be the better advocates, no matter what they're talking about. And so. I, it's not my approach, and I think where um, I hope I'm right in, in believing that that mine is the better approach. It's a terrible thing to say, isn't it? But I, but I think it is. I think if I can if I can plead facts or English law or or matters to which I am closest, then I am doing the client the best service. And if I invite co-counsel from other places to deal with the matters that are closest to them. And sometimes they are closest to the client, and so they're closest to the facts. Absolutely. And, and so you just have to take each case um, on its merits and on its facts and have regard to its circumstances and and devise a plan, not, not land into uh, a case and just run it the way you run every case. That's, that's I think, the wrong approach. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it was about five years ago, and I, I can't remember the specifics of it exactly, but there was this, this concept called earpiecing, which is where during some international arbitration proceedings, uh, the spokespeople uh, within this particular arbitration that was being held within 
physically within a African jurisdiction had to be local council. Mm-hmm. But all of the instructions were simply being conveyed by international council through earpieces. Is that is this an apocryphal tale? Have I had my leg pulled, or does this actually happen? I it, it's never happened in my practice. Okay, but, but but I would I would believe that that's possible. Yeah, yes. you know, I I was kind of taken aback, and I was like, do people really believe that local council of required quality can't be found, and instead they're simply being used as puppets? But I I will go digging, shy, and I'll right. see if I can find some actual evidence behind it. But I'm glad that you've not crossed paths with it. But I, I haven't. No. On more positive trends, I am. Our journalists are covering the international arbitration space on a more lively footing than I've, I've ever seen. It mm-hmm. really does seem to be seeing a, 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 a second renaissance. But with the wider trends that you're seeing with regard to international arbitration, whether it's where the seat is, how the tribunals are being constructed, how the proceedings are being managed, you know, those, those broad international trends, is Africa typically mirroring the key trends that the rest of the world is is currently realizing, or are they really bucking the trend in some ways? I think the uh, debates in Africa do mirror the debates uh, internationally, and practice is evolving in a similar way. One of the key issues that we are all thinking about very carefully and bringing into practice is the issue of diversity. And it relates... Uh, I think also to to the issue of collaboration, but in particular, the the question of diversity arises in the context of gender diversity on tribunals and in advocacy teams. Yeah, but also nationality. So the diversity of nationality, and uh, we've just talked about how I don't believe that it's right to exclude um, national advocates from the presentation to a tribunal nor is it right in every case to exclude, well, it's never right to intentionally exclude um, arbitrators from any particular nationality. Uh, And in most cases, particularly involving uh, issues with, with a particular local flavor, be that Africa, Asia, Europe, Eastern Europe, America, in most cases where, where there is a, a local flavor of any type, having a local arbitrator uh, or an arbitrator that has expertise in the particular area, be it area of law or, or jurisdiction, really helps the tribunal find the correct answer for the circumstances it's facing in their context. Um, because the law can apply harshly if, if it is taken out of the correct context. And well, so... No, con- context is everything in a lot of arbitral environments it's knowledge of the the nuances of communication of a particular sector you're in of the cultural context in which it's placed and uh, you know there's been a concerted effort it seems around that diversity you know the the africa promise i think it is Mm -hmm. is the uh, you know an arbitral program which, which was launched god i'd say a couple of years ago but it might have been a lot longer is that something that's having an impact are you seeing this trend of respect for the need for uh local 
arbitral wisdom wisdom being um being followed or is it still taking a bit of time to really impact so uh, it is it is something we see in practice it is something we uh, the african promises is an initiative that we have regard to in practice in real life every time but that doesn't mean that that uh, these processes are like switching a light bulb no sure and and i have to say um even when international council like us or our colleagues are fully engaged in the thought process our clients don't even always um follow with us right right so and and i'm not talking necessarily about foreign clients investing into africa the issues can arise um and and a lot of persuasion can also be necessary in the context of uh, an african based client that um also needs to have its eyes opened to this initiative and to understanding the importance of of diversity in teams and of course an arbitral tribunal is also a team in many respects uh, with and- that client voice shy i'm interested in your perspective here do you find that the client's uh, willingness or insistence on managing an arbitral process is that to your experience more profound with african market or african clients or more profound in say europe or does it just totally depend on the the nuances of the particular case um i i don't think it is more pronounced in in the african context i think it is a key element of what we do um to have client and and if your arbitrators have party buy-in and involvement in the process yeah and that is uh, often the responsibility of counsel for each side to ensure that they bring their client along now obviously our clients are always right and we never lose cases <laughs> but, but in the unlikely event that a tribunal thinks otherwise you want your client to understand the process that it's been through and understand the likely thinking of arbitrators that have been appointed by it or for it and you really want client engagement so it is our responsibility as as professionals to bring our clients along uh, but i don't i don't think that i see less or more engagement from clients based in in any particular african for jurisdiction sure. as, sure. as they do from nor do i find uh, and it might be a result of of um working in a, in a in a leading london law firm our clients aren't particularly naive so they no. were, you know our african clients are as sophisticated as our as our non-african clients absolutely and so they often come to this process with a lot of knowledge so <laughs> we 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 luckily don't need to teach our grandmothers how to suck eggs <laughs> in most cases and they expect the same level of um of involvement as do um european clients or american clients or asian clients and that's something that we've seen in pretty much yes. all regard you know underestimate yeah. the african client at your peril because these are people who have the 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 nous and the intellect and the experience to really Absolutely. make it a lot easier 
and they also have the willingness to make things very difficult if you're showing yourself a council who won't respect that. Another trend which we see internationally and which is uh, very lively in Africa as well is the introduction and enthusiasm for regional arbitral institutions. And that is something which we've seen developed with great success in Singapore, Hong Kong, and the UAE, Dubai in particular, uh, and is emerging in Africa as well. Now, uh, what we heard during the roundtable and in other meetings is a, a degree of impatience with the world. Why isn't the world embracing the African regional institutions? Yeah, yeah. And, and I think, I think the, the complaint is misplaced a little bit because none of these local institutions that have been successful, even Singapore, which has been the fastest and most successful perhaps, um, have taken years to develop to where they are. And so the African initiatives probably started around a decade ago. There, there was a lot of in, uh, engagement. Um, but it will take a little bit longer before the cases, the international cases, flow very quickly or in, in great... And what are the KPIs there, Shai? Is it trust? Is it reliability? Is it a, you know, history of pedigree? Uh, what What is it that is like the, the tide change for an arbitral centre where it goes from a <laughs> we might use to a we only use? In your experience? So, so in my experience, we only use doesn't and probably shouldn't happen. So we only use is, is uh, an aspiration too far. For sure. But we do use and we do trust takes time and, and, uh, and a, a robust and stable legal framework. As well as, and you know, this is where we dive into the petty, uh, a robust and stable infrastructure surrounding the arbitral yep, process. Just as important. Yeah. So people joke about having good restaurants and good hotels, um, and but but that is only part of part of the issue, and not at all um, one which should be dismissed, though. But it is not the key element. A robust legal system, much more important. Good legal services. Good hearing facilities. And I have to mention, uh, one, of, one of the great joys of my visit to South Africa on this occasion, we went to visit the Arbitration Foundation of South Africa, so AFSA, uh, who have recently refurbished their, the moved premises and refurbished their yep. hearing facilities to world-class um, level. Very, very sophisticated, uh, high-tech, beautiful environment with good access to local and international um, council. And they are very busy with domestic arbitration at the moment, but not yet seeing um, a serious flow of international cases. But one would imagine that will play into it. So if you're hearing yes. quite complex domestic um, disputes, you know, all it takes is the right African or South African multinational to have a great experience there, yeah. then, you know, the international disputes, you know, the mass mark, you know, well, for example, would quite. be a great example. And, and, and what you will also see, I think, over time is when counsel from nearby states, for example, from the SADC 
um, uh, the South African development community states, yep. visiting, learning about, and understanding that they can come in with their own legal counsels and do cases, for example, in the AFSA facilities, even if the case doesn't involve South Africa, when that catches on, that is when the great flow of cases will will start to happen. Yeah, they, they could be heard under any set of rules Absolutely. mutually agreed by the parties. This is and, one of the great joys of arbitration. Yes, and uh, bear in mind that most of our cases in London don't involve English parties at all. They involve mm-hmm. parties from different jurisdictions, and that's the point, I think. Where there's trust in the infrastructure surrounding the process, then... Um, parties from around the world will come, probably because it's more convenient. So it might not be from around the world. It might be parties from localities which are nearby. I think then they'll come and they'll have a good experience and the word will spread. But it's not an overnight overnight process. And um, even with the best will in the world, which many people have towards um, the African continent. Well, the word is spreading right now, Shai. On the back of your positive visit, we've been able to big it up. So I <laughs> oh, think we're, exactly. we're, we're living proof of it happening. And look, I'm I'm going to fall back into mm-hmm. uh, a couple of the final questions that, that you and I you and I had discussed before. But I've I've now you're here. I've got to pick your brain on something. Okay. Go on. We always in in the legal press we're always hearing about the growth of international arbitration big law firms hiring you know more teams arbitral facilities growing worldwide and all of these like macro trends are really interesting but i want to get to the bilateral here the why an individual african business would choose to go down the arbitral route rather than the you know local law um, uh, litigious route and one question i have is is do you find that it's a matter of the arbitral bug bites and then they are set on that way you know is it is the single greatest factor in a business or that general counsel choosing to aggressively pursue arbitration as their preferred dispute resolution uh, process simply a matter of experiencing it for the first time or is that really oversimplifying it I, I think often parties that engage in international arbitration uh, learn to like it and and come back i i agree that there is an element of that more often than not there, there are two two aspects which are which are both really push aspects rather than pull aspects mm-hmm. and that's uh, you know, reality. There are many pull aspects for international arbitration, from the quality of the legal advice to the quality of the decision making. But I fear that often the the concern that people have, uh, or that companies, clients have, is about enforcement. Yeah. So international arbitration enforcement is definitely easier and. Uh, often faster than national court, cross-border national court enforcement. So the international enforcement element is a key factor. Um, And that is perhaps the most significant aspect for businesses ahead of uh, when you sign the arbitration agreement as the deal is being um, uh, uh, entered into. 
But there are two other aspects which are perhaps in people's mind that are are, are very important. The first is the neutrality of the venue. Parties are always reluctant, rightly or wrongly, uh, but they are always reluctant to litigate or arbitrate, um, but certainly litigate in the courts of the counterpart's nation. So the national courts of your counterpart are more, more often than not wrongly viewed with suspicion. Nevertheless, they are viewed with suspicion. But on the counter side, why take the risk? Well, we exactly. a corporate's reply, right? <laughs> well, uh, it, it, it's, it, it's part of our, our human condition that we trust our own and we um, wrongly, but nevertheless, uh, deeply uh, often mistrust the other. For now sure. That, and that, uh, and the resolution of that issue is often through international arbitration in a neutral venue. Mm-hmm. And so that that is um, just a human condition which pushes people towards international arbitration. And I think then they experience it and, and often have a good experience. The other issue is the other push issue, which is significant, and is why, for example, in South Africa, there's a very lively um, domestic arbitration uh, practice, which is time. The national courts in many jurisdictions in drowning, (laughs) absolutely drowning. And I was just going to absolutely drowning is correct, but but I was going to say in Africa and across the world. Mm-hmm. You are no better off uh, in uh, the courts of, I, I won't name any European uh, jurisdiction in particular, but in many European jurisdictions, you will wait for more than three years to have a hearing. And the same is true, I understand, from my visit now uh, in South Africa. Not yeah. uncommon to wait three years. Um, and so arbitration is a better option in that regard. You understand, you know that your dispute will be over within a shorter period of time. And that, that for corporations, can be priceless. Absolutely. Let's, let, let's talk and, about uh, Africa. Go ahead. Sorry, Sean. So, 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 so as budgets around the world, uh, as Economic Times press governments to invest in everything but their legal um, institutions, privatizing that process is a real option for many parties. And it's, it's kind of privatization light, though, because you can pull in all of the wonderful uh, law and history and pedigree that the kind of government influence justice systems have generated, you know, the yes. right legal talent, the right laws, the right statutes, the right legislation, the right case law. But you know what? We're going to plug all of that good stuff into a more efficient, more accessible, and sometimes much more cost-effective um, uh, you know, methodology. That's a contentious point. I actually think we are cheaper. I think we're cheaper because we take less time. But many parties who've been through an international arbitration of any value or complexity complain about the overall cost. I don't think that they would complain less if they were in a national court. I think they would find it more expensive. Opportunity cost. Who's to say that the uncertainty hanging over you for the three-year waiting period doesn't dramatically impact your bottom line? I, I, about morale what about all of those unsubstantial you know i i, I i'm absolutely. i think i'm with you <laughs> also, but the, the difficulty is that whilst i know i'm right uh you can never <laughs> you can never compare the same case exactly in arbitration and in the courts no thank goodness otherwise so, it yes. would get dull 
variety is to spice it. There'd be more work for lawyers, but perhaps too much. <laughs> exactly. That's a very humble thing to say. Let's 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 look at something on a more kind of firm wide footing beyond yeah. the, the disputes play. We know what well, I have definitely been corrected on the depth of engagement between mm-hmm. RPC and African markets, which is is great to know. Mm-hmm. The strategy, yes, defined, but still flexible. So where where's Africa going to fit in with the firm's future strategy? And, you know, we had Alan Williams join us on this trip, you know, a, a, a corporate and M&A focused practitioner with a particular interest in technology, I understand. So yes. what are the key sectors and practice areas that you think are going to underpin RPC's engagement with African markets? So the, the, some of the key uh, sectors that we engage in, uh, for example, as you mentioned, Alan is a, is a um, banking and financial services litigator. He's an expert in, in projects that require finance and involve um, international banking services as well. So that is one of the issues which we think will, will fit in very well or does fit in very well with our our general pillars of, of, of our practice. Mm-hmm. And let me, um, let me elaborate on that a little bit further. A key aspect of, of our practice and a key part of our strategy is that we are a conflict-free firm. Uh, and also, <laughs> we refer to it, I mean, it's, it's, it's a bit of a marketing tagline, but it's a good one. We're a disputes powerhouse. And those two elements match together very well uh, with our Africa strategy. And in layman's terms, I'm going to dive in and say, you can sue banks. So we can, because because, that's absolutely right. Our conflict-free strategy means that we actively uh, do not engage in the panels of international investment banks. We are not on their panels, uh, and we are not on the panels of many of the major energy firms or infrastructure firms of the of the multinational construction um, uh, companies, and so we are free to sue them. And we find, I have found in my practice a number of times that uh, I have personally received um, instructions from clients who could not easily find a city law firm to represent them against uh, major oil companies. Oil oil and gas disputes are one of of the things I've done for 25 years. But there is a real uh, gap in in the market, particularly for countries that receive investment from major institutions. There's a a difficulty in the London market in, in finding good, competent legal counsel that will represent a company suing them. The pull of that petrochem dollar was too strong for uh, for many of the London law firms, but it yes. is it's a unique place to be operating. And I think you know you're not going to go wrong when you can corner such a great part of the market through a, a fundamental uh, you know facet of your your strategy, which is dispute powerhouse and conflict free. I mean that yeah. that I I don't know of any other London based law firms who are actively trying to move into that space. Um, yes, we are. We are. There are some some boutiques, but they tend to be quite small. And although I don't, you know, they're very good. So 
all, all, <laughs> all respect due to them, but very few of our size and our, on our breadth who can also support processes through um, our corporate practice, our high-tech practice, our insurance practice. So because we are a full-service law firm, we can do both things very, very well. Absolutely. And, and I think some of, some of our excellent colleagues who are in smaller boutiques aren't able to provide uh, that breadth of service. They can't throw... 15 lawyers at a case that needs it and that's not something we do unless it needs it but but when 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 a sophisticated important case arises and you're trying to sue an investment bank or uh, one of the major international corporations our strategy answers that particular need very very well and I, I think you know you've really hit the nail on the head there it's being a dispute expert being a, 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 an absolute whiz at arbitral cross-examination or deposition or all that, that that's fantastic but when you're dealing with the complexity and sector-based nuances of a highly complex you know arbitration involving an investment bank it's the ability to pull up that reserve talent of lived sector experience paired with that dispute expertise that I think really can separate, you know, the silver medalists from the gold. So it sounds mm. like you well, guys you. very much sit in that that gold space. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Uh, the, the, other, the other element of our strategy, which isn't going to change uh, and which we're certain about, is that we are not uh, going to plant our flag in, in any of the... Um, well, in, in any of the African jurisdictions we work closely with, and that is another strategy decision we've taken. We don't need to invest money in in stealing an existing practice when we can work with them just as well as we work with our current counterparts and colleagues in in leading African firms. Absolutely. So that now, is, there's definitely space for that. I yes. think there was this mad rush for African markets. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that seems to be waning. Those that have made a success of it on the international front, absolute more power to them. Uh, yes. But I'm really interested in the power that can be unlocked with the flexibility of really solid respect-based referral yes. programs. You know, the talent that is on offer in, in some of the... You know, the larger, the medium and the small African firms, undeniable. Why would you choose to go up against these people sometimes when you can come up with mutually beneficial ways of working? So it, 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 it's another thing endorsed by by me for what it counts. And <laughs> Thank you very much. That is a key. That is a key part of us. It's a key metric. Does Tom Pearson think this is a great idea? Oh. Here's a final question, and it's one that's going to mean a lot to our aspiring arbitrators and arbitration practitioners of which there are many it's a real hotbed of growth in african markets and it's it's a little walk down memory lane i, I want you to think about you at the very start of your journey towards you know being the arbitration practitioner you are now and i know that would have been a long and you know winding road but if you could give your younger self a piece of advice at the very start of that journey what what would that advice be and why so first of all, it's a difficult question because I'm quite happy with where I am. So, you know, that sounds really um, self-satisfied and arrogant. No, it sounds content. Um, 
I think that's <laughs> absolutely the right am, way to be. I am, I am content, but you know, uh, there's been a lot of hard work along the way. I, I think the best advice I, I give young lawyers now, um, and that I would, I would have loved to have received as well, is is a, a whole range of conflicting uh, little nuggets of advice. One thing which I, I think you need to do is be patient. Um, I, you know, if 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 my career path is um, is an example of anything, you know, in the end it works out. <laughs> so you have to be patient. Uh, at the same time, the conflicting advice is: don't be too patient. Um, make sure that you're engaged. Make sure that you say yes to things. Make sure that you take on the good work. Um, and you work well with your your colleagues, and uh, don't be afraid to to take chances and and try something new, or um, I, I, you know, work hard. Work hard. Be good. Yeah, I mean, it, it underpins everything here. Look, but hard work alone isn't. You know, hard work has to manifest in the right environment. It has to be work which is valuable, work which can be judged, and work that actually has an output. So I think my kind of caveat on that, just work hard, is always, no, work smart. Um, and I know you weren't you weren't saying just work hard. You've given some phenomenal advice there. But my two penneth is is definitely that think of when you're really blood, sweat, and tears into something, just sense check. Is yeah. this the thing that I should be going all out on? Is it being monitored? Is it actually yielding results? Or is this me, an old boss of mine used to say, busy fools are the, the, the worst kind. You feel busy, you feel like you're making progress, but unless you really analyze it, you could just be yes. running around in circles. I, I think that's, that is that um, uh, thoughtful engagement is very, very important, I think. But... In the, you know, also in the legal profession, I th- you know I'm one of these sadniks who absolutely love the law, and so whenever things are, are getting and getting tough, I, I remind myself, you know, at least I'm not a, an accountant. <laughs> <laughs> you're in good, you're in good company with the love of the law. I think all of our listeners, you know, are, you know. are, are in the same camp. And uh, I think is that our oh, that could be our podcast title. <laughs> at, at least, least I'm not an accountant. What do you think? That would be great. No, I do feel very fortunate, and things have worked out. You know, there are times when you think, "Have I made the right choice?" But you have to try new things. You have to take chances sometimes, but equally, do it thoughtfully and and with purpose. A hundred percent. And with those closing thoughts, I think that does indeed bring us to time, Shai. But thank Thank you you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Our pleasure is all mine. And as always, a very big thank you to all of our listeners. If you are new to the Africa Legal Podcast, you can find us wherever you find your podcast, whether it's Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. The Africa Legal Podcast is there to bring you all the news, views, and insights that improve your life as a modern African legal practitioner. So without further ado, this has been Tom and Shai, and we're signing off for the Africa Legal Podcast.